what's going on in our daily personal life can affect the praise and the worship that we have here. And Scripture is very clear that one of the ways that that our lives can affect our praise and our worship and our devotion to the Lord comes in our relationships with one another. That if we are not right in our relationships with our spouses, if we're not right in our relationships with each other, if we're not right in our relationships with our friends, and with our co-workers, with the people that we're in church with, that that can influence in a negative way our praise and worship and adoration of our Lord. Over the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at relationships. Now, we're going to look specifically in the context of marriage for much of the series, but most of these principles can apply even outside of marriage. You know, last fall there was uh, a little movie that could. It was the surprise of Hollywood. In fact, uh, it was interesting that one of the major entertainment magazines did not even review the movie on the weekend it was coming out because they were convinced it wouldn't make much money. On Monday morning after the opening weekend, it had an immediate review up because it finished third or fourth on the weekend box office. It was the movie Fireproof. Many of you in the church went to see it as a group. Many of you were a part of our group that went and watched it. It was an impactful movie. But what was interesting about this little movie that could is it was the biggest financial success in Hollywood last year. Now, you won't hear about it at Oscars. I don't think it's nominated for anything. I don't think any of the big news publications put it on the top ten list, but look at these numbers. It made somewhere around $33 million here in the United States. Now, you say, that's not a huge financial success. Batman made a whole lot more than that. When you consider that they made the movie for $500,000, when you make $33 million, that's pretty good. That's a way to help the church budget, right? We need to get on that. Somebody make a movie for us real quick, all right? Because you think about it, this movie that made that was made by a church in Georgia. And the story of the movie, if you've seen it, you remember, is a story of a firefighter and his wife that are struggling to make their marriage last. And this interesting title of the movie is Fireproof. And we're going to talk about fireproofing your marriage because what the word fireproof means is not that you won't ever have fires. It just means that when the difficulties of the fires come in your life and your relationships, that you'll be able to withstand the fire. Now, you've heard me before when I've talked about relationships say that every couple has trouble. Amen? Amen? I'd be tempted right now to ask you if some of you in this room have never fought with your spouse. But if I ask you that, somebody's going to raise their hand, and I don't want you lying in church. All right? Because the truth is, we all have difficulties. Now, some of you say, well, we've never had an open argument. Well, then one or both of you is holding stuff in. Amen? I mean, it's just natural. And so what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks is, how do you fireproof your marriage? Now, if you're not married, let me just say a quick word. that You know, Scripture is very clear that if you're single here today, that singleness is a gift from God. Did you know that Paul says, I wish everyone were single like me? And so if you're single here today, what I want to ask you to do is to look at what we're talking about and use it in relationship principles. Let me also mention to you today, if you're here today and you're divorced, and I know for some of you when God has walked you through that process after your divorce and there is still some 
baggage, some difficulty that is there. And right now, even as I've started this, you're thinking, we've got to sit through six weeks of me being reminded about this. Let me tell you that my goal is not to open any wounds. In fact, I hope you understand from my heart that divorce is something that is not what God intends in Scripture, but God loves divorced people. Let me tell you that it is something that has impacted almost every family in this room, I am sure. It's impacted my family. Many of you may not know this, but both of my parents are divorced and are remarried. They uh, were married before. They married each other. I am their child, but I understand that God can bring grace even in the midst of people that have marriages that fail. So my goal is not to open up any wounds here, but my goal is to say this is what, if you're looking to fireproof your marriage, to get things to where you can live your life as a testimony to the world, here is what you can do. Now let me just say to you real quickly, if you're married here today, or if you're getting close to marriage, or if you will be married one day, let me just tell you something I know for sure. Satan will attack your marriage. I'm going to say that again. Satan will attack your marriage. Here's the reason. Because marriage, especially if you're trying to live it out in glory to God, is a sacred institution established by God. And anything that is a sacred institution established by God is something Satan wants to attack. And so if you're here right now and you say, you know what, my marriage is good, Brother Lyle, I appreciate you doing this marriage. I'm sure there's a lot of people in this room who need to hear this. You just tell them what they need to know. Let me just advise you to take heed. Because whether you realize it or not, your marriage is under attack. The second reason that it's under attack is, first of all, it's sacred. Satan doesn't want anything that is sacred being uh, alive and well. The second reason that it's under attack is because he realizes that your happiness, your fulfillment, your joy is tied directly to your marriage. And he knows that if he can split that apart. Remember in John 10.10 it says the thief comes to... Steal, kill, and destroy. And he knows that if he can get that inroad, that that is definitely a way he can get you. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis 1. All right? Think you can get there? Genesis 1. First book of the Bible. First chapter of the first book. Chapter 1, verse 27. We're going to do a little Bible jumping around a little bit today, all right? Just two passages of Scripture, really, but we're going to look at the first part in Genesis, and then we're going to go to the New Testament, because there are three things. I know on your order of service today, there's not an official outline. Just write down the things that impact you that God uses in your life. I'll tell you some specific things to write down a little bit later, but there are going to be three main points we're going to talk about today, and then some things underneath that. First of all, we're going to talk about today that we need to realize in a marriage relationship that God intentionally designed us differently. God intentionally designed us differently. Got that? How many of you women have noticed that there are some weird things about your husband? Let me see that. How many of you guys have noticed that there are some unique and (laughs) extraordinary things about your spouse? Let me see that. I've learned a few things in marriage, guys, right? We're weird. They're unique. Right? We are different. Amen? Here's the good thing about that. If you two were the same, one of you would be unnecessary. Right? So it's good we're different. Say, I'm glad I'm different. 
Look at your spouse. Say, I'm glad you're different. Now, remember that. Okay? That's easier said than felt, right? How do we know God designed us to be different? Look in chapter 1, verse 27. Now, you think, Pastor, you're about to stretch a little bit. I'm really not. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Now, are we similar in some ways? Yes. We're not completely different. We're not absolutely different. We're similar in some ways. But, and it tells us that we're created in the image of God. But then it says, male and female, he created them. And it's very specific there to tell us that he created us two separate entities. Well, we have similarities. We're different. You remember over in chapter 2 of Genesis where Adam and Eve are there, and Adam's in the garden, and Adam's a little lonely, and God keeps bringing these animals up, and Adam says, all right, there's a hippopotamus, but that's not my helpmate. I don't think I want the alligator next to me at night. And so God says, all right, we're going to create a woman, and so he pulls a rib out of Adam, creates the woman, says, here you are, and, and Adam is happy. He's excited. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, this is woman. I know that today, if your husband looks at you and go, you are woman, it may not be the most flattering thing you want to hear. But in that time, Adam was giving praise to God for what he had. Now, what we need to understand is, if God created us different, that means it's okay to be different. We just are. I saw some interesting thing this week. You know, they talked about how humor is different between men and women. If you don't believe that, spend some time around some 7th and 8th grade boys and then some time around 7th and 8th grade girls. The humor is different. One of those things that shows that humor is different for guys is the Three Stooges. Right? If you sit down and watch the Three Stooges with some guys... They are laughing, all right? Now, it's, not, it's nothing but three guys hitting each other on the head, doing the same things over and over. I have sat with some, you know, mixed company before. The girls don't think that's really funny. But the guys, it is hilarious. You look at differences we have. There's uh, differences in pets. Women, in general, love these furry little creatures called cats. I saw many men scrunch their nose at that moment. Now, some guys will pretend to like cats. You know why? Because they love a woman who likes a cat, all right? You don't see any guys with a 365 cats a year calendar on their desk, right? Another way that we're different is the bathroom. Did you know that there is, on average, guys have six items in a bathroom? That's it. Betty likes that. I'm glad. <laughs> Hopefully, Jim's got all of these. <laughs> Guys, get your checklist out. A toothbrush, a toothpaste, shaving cream, a razor, dial soap, or some kind of soap, usually a bar, and a towel, maybe one that was borrowed from the local Holiday Inn. That's it. This I'm not making this up, all right? Women, on average, have 437 items in their bathroom. And all of God's men said, that's what I thought. We're different. 
People are giving their own commentary today. I love this. <laughs> there's elbowing. There's commentary. It's good. We're different. And it's not just those kind of crazy things. I mean, physically we're different. Guys have thicker skulls. And all of God's women said, I mean, literally, we have thicker skulls physiologically. We have thicker skin. We have more red blood cells, more muscle. We just are different. From birth, little girls have more lip and mouth movement than little boys. Amen. (laughs) They did a study of preschoolers, and they found out that 100% of the things that were coming out of little girls' mouths were words. 60% of what was coming out of little boys' mouths were words. You know what the other 40% were? Choo-choo. That's every day at my house. And then you've heard this before. Women, on average, speak 25,000 words a day. Men, 10,000 words a day. That's all. We're different. Now, why are we different? That's the real question, isn't it? Why are we so different? I mean, it's one thing to be a little bit different. Why are we so different? There are two reasons. First of all, God did that for companionship. You do not want to hang around people that are just like you. Now, you think you do, but you would get tired of yourself. Amen? You don't want to hang around with people that are just like you. And what God did when he created Eve, and I kind of joked around, the hippopotamus didn't work, the alligator didn't work, the giraffe didn't work, the lion didn't work, all those didn't work. I wasn't being really facetious there, because the reality is, Adam wanted a companion. Now the truth is, that most marriages are intended to be something that get better with time. You know what's interesting is, one of the things that that I do as a pastor is I do some premarital counseling. And I have yet to have to encourage an engaged couple to spend more time together. Right? I I was doing some premarital counseling recently, and I was talking to the couple, and I said, well, do do you spend, you know, it's just one of the questions. There's four questions you ask. So so how much time do you spend together? Well, we met uh, such and such date, and I, I think we've seen each other every day since then. Now, part of you wants to go, you know, maybe that's not healthy. Maybe you need to do something else. But sometimes once we get married, we think that, oh, that goes kind of on autopilot. And not that we don't see each other, but we can see each other without seeing each other. Amen? And we need to realize that part of the reason God created us differently is because we fit together. The second part of that is very closely related. It's not just for companionship. It's also for cooperation. I mean, he makes it very clear that what happens here is that when Eve comes along, it is his helpmate. It is his complement. It is the one that helps complete him. Now, understand that the only one that can truly complete us is Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross. But he has built us with this innate desire for someone else to complete us. That's why when you start dating or when you marry somebody, usually you marry somebody that is different and almost always opposite than you. Amen? And as you work together, you cooperate. Here's one of the things that's kind of interesting about me. God has blessed me with the ability to remember facts and details 
that happened 20, 25 years ago. Now, there is really no need for that, but I can do it. But if Susan calls me at 4.15 and says, on your way home, can you pick up these four things? I tell her, email it to me or I'll forget it. Now, I have no idea why I can remember something that happened 20 years ago and I can't remember to get the eggs. Susan is great at that kind of stuff. Remembering details. Remembering those things and things that we've got to do. Now, she writes them down too, but she's really good at playing it out, doing that. I am not, and some of the people that are in the the staff can tell you this, I am not a detailed-oriented guy, okay? That's not how God created me. I I don't, not that I can't do the details, I just don't like doing the details. I'm a big-picture kind of guy. Susan is a detail-oriented woman, and we fit together. Now, here's the caution there. Sometimes the things that first attract us to somebody and that are opposite and complementary, as time goes on, becomes irritating if we're not careful. Amen? Some of you don't want to say amen on that. That's okay. I got it right here in your heart. And so we have to watch out. God created us differently so that we could work together. It is a beautiful picture. You see, here's what I'm convinced of and become more convinced of every day is that when I was 20, 21, 22 years old, and Susan and I were trying to figure out what God's plan was for our lives, and we finally decided that God had brought us together 11 years ago this summer, that at that moment I didn't fully understand all that God was doing in bringing the two of us together. But I am convinced today that I am much better of a person and a better minister of the gospel, and there is no way in the world I could be as effective for the kingdom of Christ without Susan by my side and walking through it with me. Because she compliments me. She cooperates with me. In Genesis chapter 1 it says, And God created them, male and female, He created them. All right, take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And let me tell you this, that we need to first understand that God creates us intentionally different. But here's the second thing. Marriage works best when you embrace the differences. Marriage works best when you embrace the differences. Chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated his own body, but feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. And then verse 31, that quote from the Old Testament. Actually, from Genesis 2. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. 
what all of that is telling us, and we're going to get to the whole submission thing in a minute, but the thing that I want you to see in there is that right there in chapter 5, verses 21 through 33, the apostle recognizes that there are differences in how we ought to relate to each other. And what he says is that if we go along trying to fix the differences, we're not doing what God has called us to do. Instead, we are to embrace the differences. Let me just give you a little piece of advice here or some free uh, information. Your job in your marriage is not to change your spouse. Amen? That's not your job. Some of you say it's a good thing. I've been working on that for 40 years. It's not working. That's not your job. Now, let me give you the other side of that. Your job in your marriage is not to say, I'm not going to change. All right? It works both ways. And so what we have to understand is what God is calling us to do, what the apostles are calling us to do, what the New Testament is calling us to do, is to learn to understand one another and then respect and love each other. We need to embrace the differences. You know, I, I think it's interesting that Peter, Peter who was the guy, remember Peter, as has been said before, is the guy with the foot-shaped mouth, right? When he was walking with Jesus, he always seemed to be sticking his foot in his mouth. He always seemed to be doing things that were just brash and out there in the open and doing things to challenge what was happening. And He was always literally the one to speak first and think second, right? We get to Peter later in his life writing his epistles and In his last epistle he wrote, he says, Husbands, learn to live with your wife in an understanding way. Now, if you look at the original understanding of that verse, what he literally says is, you are to study your wives and try to figure out how you can make her into the woman God calls her to be. How you can have a part in that. Let me just talk real briefly to the guys here. We're terrible at that. All right? Some of you ladies won't say amen. It's okay. And part of the reason is it's just not part of our culture. If you look at women's magazines, and I don't look at a lot of women's magazines, but they're on the shelves, all right? And you're checking out. You're checking out at Publix or Kroger or Walmart or whatever. They've got women's magazines in there. All the time on their uh, headlines are quizzes about your man. Do you understand your man? Who is your man? You don't ever look at a Sports Illustrated and it says, do you know your woman? Right? We're just not good at that. But Peter says that we are to learn to embrace it and to study it and to live for it. I want you to jump all the way to verse 33. Because this is important stuff here. And I think it's amazing what it shows. It says, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. It shows us in just that quick verse two of the major needs of men and women. And we're going to talk in a minute about that more in detail. But notice what it says. We're to treat each other as the other needs to be treated. He doesn't give a blanket statement for men, I mean for all of us. He gives one for men and one for women. And he says, For men, we must love our wives. And for wives, we must You must respect your husband. Marriage works best when you embrace the differences. And here's the third thing. Marriage works best when you give up your rights and serve your spouse. 
You know, this passage of Scripture, I don't know whether you're aware of it or not, is a pretty controversial passage of Scripture. The problem is, most people, the reason it's a controversial passage of Scripture is because they start with verse 22, not with verse 21. Now, you realize that when the Apostle Paul wrote Ephesians, he didn't put those little titles above it, right? How many of you have a New International Version of the Bible out there? You see where it says wives and husbands, you have that? Some of you others have different versions. They have headings. You realize that when the Apostle Paul wrote this, he didn't put those divisions in. Men put those divisions in after him. You also realize that when the Apostle Paul wrote this, he didn't have paragraphs and punctuation in there, okay? So there's some question about, well, where do things start and end? I think the New International Version misses this. And that verse 21 goes with the rest of that chapter. And here's the reason. There wouldn't be so much controversy in this passage. What we called people to do was not for husbands, I mean for wives just to submit to their husbands, but for both partners in reverence and in honor of who they are married to would quit talking about their rights and serve each other. The only viable contest that ought to be in your marriage is who's serving the other the most. It says there in verse 21, right? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Sometimes I talk with ladies more generally, sometimes men, but most of the time ladies that say, Pastor, I'm just having a hard time with my husband. He just doesn't care anything about the things of God. He doesn't want to come to church. He doesn't want to take the kids to church. He doesn't want to do anything. How am I supposed to still be in the relationship and do what God wants me to do? And I kind of tell them at the end of that statement, you give your own answer, but the truth is it doesn't tell us to submit to one another out of our concern for one another, does it? Is that what it says? No. It says we submit to one another out of our concern and love and reverence for Christ. You remember that phrase that we use about work all the time, that whatever you do, do it as if you're doing it for the Lord, for His glory? That's true in your marriage. So here's what I want to do with the time that we have remaining. I want to give you just a brief study of what the major needs are for men and for women. And here's what I want you to do. If you're a lady here today, I want you to write down the needs for the men. This is not a time for you to write down your own needs and then use it against your husband, okay? And if you're a guy, I want you to write down the women's. We're going to do men's needs first. Four things that men need if you're going to see him grow into the man God has called him to be. And this comes directly or indirectly from a guy named Jimmy Evans who is out in Texas doing great work with marriage stuff. First of all is honor. See what it says there at the end, at verse 33, that we are to respect, the wives are to respect her husband. One of the major needs guys have is that they are to have respect and honor from their wives. Praise and positive speech goes a long way in your relationship with a man. Somebody once said that if you want to be married to a great man, treat him as if he's a great man. Now let me tell you why this is so difficult. This is difficult for ladies because you see him warts and all. Right? Just to be real honest here, you know he's not a great man. Amen? Oh, no, you don't, have, don't amen that, all right? Because then you got work this afternoon. I've been reading slowly uh, a, a recent biography of Andrew Jackson's time in the White House. Now, it was interesting. I saw it came out. It was supposed to be a, uh, a really good book. And, you know, moving to, to Middle Tennessee, Andrew Jackson's one of those guys that always fascinated me. 
So I'm reading this book, and what I found fascinating was his relationship with his wife, Rachel. Now, they have kind of a convoluted start to their relationship, but there's no doubt that the two of them saw each other as the love of their lives. But what I find interesting about Rachel is, Rachel thought it was her job to make sure her husband didn't get a big head. You ever heard that? That was her job. Andrew Jackson, many of you know, especially growing up in this part of the country, that Andrew Jackson became at one time the biggest hero in America. In fact, after the Battle of New Orleans and the great victory that they won there, it has been said of Andrew Jackson that the only person in American history that was more popular than him was George Washington. In fact, after the Battle of New Orleans and that great victory there, he was having parades all over the place for Andrew Jackson, General Jackson. We're excited for you. He came to town one day, and his wife went with him. And as they were on the parade route, right before they started, they gave Andrew Jackson a laurel wreath as if he were a Greek champion. And they drove him through the middle of town with people applauding and screaming all over the place. And as they got to the end of the place, and as they got to the end of the route, they got off together, they went back to their hotel room. The story is told that Rachel said she didn't really appreciate the parade too much. But later she wrote a letter. And in the letter she just said, she used Scripture in this. She said, My husband was excited about a crown that withers and fades. And I thought we were to pursue a crown that will never wither and fade. She said, when I saw the look of the people in their eyes as they looked toward my husband, I was ashamed at the idolatry of the American people. Now, here are a couple of things. First of all, we can all admit that sometimes we get carried overboard in our reverence of other people. But this is what I thought. If there is anybody in the world that could make Andrew Jackson feel like he was a nobody, it was his wife. And I can just tell from the brief reading I've done, she took that opportunity at times. Can I tell you why this is so hard for you ladies? It's because some of you know that. Just speaking to you from a man's heart, I can tell you that one of the things that we need is just to know that our wives appreciate what we do. You need to honor and respect. You need to tell him that, you know, The truth is that there are times when you're going to know, you're going to know things that you ought to say, things that have been going wrong. You're going to know that he left his socks in the wrong place. You're going to know that he said something he shouldn't have said. You're going to know his performance is not what it looks like, but you don't have to share it all the time. Got to honor. Second need for males is physical intimacy. Now, you know what I'm talking about there, and we're not going to go into it in depth. But the Apostle Paul thought this was so important that he says that if you decide in 1 Corinthians that you want to abstain for a period of time, make sure that it is a short period of time, lest you fall to temptation. Honor, physical intimacy. The third thing is kindred fellowship. Now, what do I mean by that? He wants to have fun. He wants to have fun. Guys like to enjoy their time. Now, that is an amazing statement, isn't it? They like to have fun. Let me tell you that one of the things that Scripture is pretty evident that or talks about on a regular basis is how difficult it is to live with a contentious wife. In fact, it compares 
In Proverbs it says, living with a contentious wife, listening to her is like listening to a dripping faucet. Then it says, it would be better to live on the corner of your roof than to live in the house with a contentious wife. All that means is, you just got to have fun every now and then. Loosen up, relax, enjoy yourselves. Let him have some fun every now and then. I know he doesn't need to watch college football 14 nights a week. I know he doesn't need to watch it four hours a day. But on Saturday every once in a while, let him have a football day. Amen, guys? Just enjoy it. Have fun. Do things together that are fun. You know, uh, Susan and I went out to eat last night. I just want to be real honest with you. We had had a six-year-old birthday party at our house. We had had about 20 children from about eight and under at our house. We got out to eat, sat down to eat, and about fell asleep in our soup, all right? And even though it wasn't the most exciting night, we sat across on the table each other, we laughed, we had a good time, we just had fun. You need to do that every now and then. And here's the last thing, you need domestic support. Now, guys, I'm not saying here that you need to do all, that the ladies need to do all the housework. That's not what I mean. What I mean here is that men have a need to have their house turned into a home. I mentioned earlier, I'm not a detail-oriented kind of guy. I guess it's confession day for me. I'm also not the neatest guy in the world. All right? I've been known to let things lie where they're lying. Okay? I'm just not the neatest guy in the world. And if you talk to me about it, I'll tell you that that's just kind of how I operate. It doesn't bother me when things are a little messy. That's just who I am. The last week we've had two parties. Our house, Super Bowl party, Eli's birthday party yesterday. So our house has been cleaned most of the week. And don't tell Susan this, but I kind of liked it. All right? Now, I know what that means. This afternoon I'm vacuuming because I kind of like it. But we want it to be a home. And if you have any doubt that guys aren't very good at creating a home, just take any college campus and tour the women's dorms versus the men's dorms. Right? All right, now if you're a guy, it's your turn to write down the needs of your wife. First of all, your wife needs security. Now, most guys, when they hear that, say, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm providing for my family. Financially, I'm trying to be secure, especially in this economic downturn. I'm trying to be secure. That's not what we're talking about here. She needs to know that you have her best interest at heart, that you're going to take care of her, yes, financially, but also emotionally and spiritually, that you're going to be there for her, that you're going to defend her, that you're going to fight for her, that there's an emotional attachment, that you're going to take care of her when somebody comes. Whenever some kind of threat enters in, she has no doubt that you are going to defend her. She needs security. Secondly, she also needs affection that doesn't lead to the bedroom. She just needs to know that you care. She needs to know that you love her and that you're willing to give her a hug or a kiss. And that's all that you expect. She needs open and honest Communication. Now, this is where guys are terrible. When we walk in from the day and she says, so how was your day? You say, fine. Did you do anything exciting today? No. Anything different happened today? Not really. And then you're done. Wives, is that what you want? No. 
She wants details. She wants answers. She wants stories. You know, this goes back to the whole thing about women talking more than men on average. They're detail-oriented in their discussion. There will be times that, that Susan and I will have a discussion, and I feel like I have completely explained the situation. And she feels like I have not explained the situation in the least. Anybody else been there? I just need to see some support. All right. You there? And she'll say, what? but what about, and I'll say, well, I told you. No, no, you didn't tell me the story. You just told me the facts. You need to learn to be a storyteller, okay? Guys, I want you to shake your heads. I will be a storyteller. Shake your heads. All right? That's a commitment before God. I got you right there. Get an open, honest communication. And here's the last thing they want is leadership in the home. Not domination, but leadership. This is what I mean by that. They want you to take the lead in some things. Discipline in the home. Romance in the home. Spiritually in the home. You know, one of the most interesting things that happens as a pastor is I get to see people at different phases of their lives and of their marriages. And time after time, even in my short time pastoring, I've heard women come up to me and say, Pastor, is there any way I can get my husband more interested in things of God? Is there any way I can get my husband more interested in the things of God and coming to church and going to a Sunday school class and listening to sermons and talking with me about Bible studies? Is there any way in the world I can do that? The reason that the wives want that is there is a need in their lives to have their husband show some leadership in that way. It is God's ordained model. Does that mean you can't be a good Christian and follower of Jesus if your husband's not? No, but that there is a desire there. Let me say this to you guys. If your wife is the one that drags you to church, what she's looking for from you is just a little semblance of the fact that you were interested in the things of God. I have yet to have a guy come to me, and I may have one this week. I have yet to have a guy come to me and say, Lord, uh, say, Pastor, I'm trying to get the Lord's answer on this. How in the world can I get my wife more interested in the things of God? Not that they don't want their wife interested, but it shows the need the wife has. Now, what do those lists have to do with anything? I want you to look at them. And it tells us at the end of verse 33 that we are to love our wives, men. And it tells you, ladies, that you are to respect your husbands. And what I'm going to ask you to do, as you know, that if you saw the movie, that there was a book in the movie called The Love Dare. I would recommend it if you, uh, if you really want to see some things happen in your marriage, you really want to see some things happen in your life, I would recommend The Love Dare. In fact, two of our younger couple classes over the next few weeks are going to begin to look at some of the principles that we're going to look at on Sunday mornings as well. And they're going to be encouraged to do The Love Dare book. But if you're not going to do the book, I didn't get the books to pass out today. Because many of you would take it and wouldn't do it. And I don't want to give you something you're not going to do. But I am going to give you a dare this morning. Something I'm going to dare you to do. Direct application. And this is what I want to ask you to do, guys, as the leaders of the family. As you think about verse 33 of chapter 5, and it says that we are to love our wives. That we are to love our wives as we love ourselves. Earlier it tells us we are to love our wives as if... Christ loved us, I'm going to ask you to look at that list and ask this question. What is something I can do for my wife this week to let her know that I care and let her know that she's loved? Now, let me just tell you, I time this well for you guys, okay? There's a holiday at the end of the week. If you don't know what it is, see me after church because you really need to know. 
So I timed this well. But here's my challenge to you. Do something different. Some of you are the flowers and candy kind of guy. The reason? Because you got the florist on speed dial. And it almost automatically calls on February 13th. Spend some time and do something that shows her you spent some time. Okay? That means if you're a flower guy, don't just become a candy guy. Okay? You got it? Spend some time thinking about it. Ladies, here's your dare. Figure out a way this week to honor your husband. Think about a way this week that you want to honor your husband and show that you respect him. You know what's interesting even now as I told those things? As I mentioned what the husbands were supposed to do for the wives, smiles went on the faces of all the ladies. And there were some guys in here, and this is just one of those things God kind of just showed me. There were some of you guys in here when I mentioned that about your wives honoring you and respecting you. There was a look in your eyes as if that hasn't happened in a while. And I would love to see it. You know, this week, there are going to be lots of presents given out. We're going to spend lots of money. But if it's just money spent on something else to give, then it doesn't mean anything. Husbands, think of a way to do something to let her know she's loved. Wives, honor your husband. Let me say something to you out there. If you're single, maybe you're a young person in school, or you're single because you've chosen that way, God has blessed you that way, or maybe you're in a divorce situation is to think about the difference we've even talked here. Maybe at work and with a co-worker, maybe at school with a fellow student, maybe with somebody, you know, if you're a young person, maybe with your parents. Think of a way that you can honor and love someone this week. 